Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share the recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guests are recovering members of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous and they'll be sharing their story of food addiction and how food addicts has helped them. So I'd like to welcome Anna and Francis to the show. Hi there. Hey, Bill. Hi, Bill. So the format of the show is we usually talk about things that influenced your life that I guess you can see in hindsight led you on the path that you took. And so I was wondering, Anna, if you can sort of start talking about your childhood and the things that were influencing you and your sort of behaviours that I guess looking back were indicative of your life to come. Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I am the eldest of a family of five children. I was born in New Zealand and I'm very close in age to all of my siblings. I'm the only one in the family who has a, a problem with weight or who, who became heavy. My mum at times struggled with, with her eating but she never took it to the extent that I took it to. Just so you know, that extent was when I came into Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, I was 87 kilos and I now weigh 56 kilos and I'm about five foot four. And that is a, that's a very good, good weight for me. But all the way through my early life, I was more interested in food and yeah, I just was, was really drawn to food. And I know now that I used it to comfort myself. And I really wanted to eat more than other members of my family. For instance, my job as a young girl, I was about um, five years old. And my job was on the way home from school was to pick up the loaf of bread for the family from the little dairy on the corner. And I was always getting into trouble because I would pick the bread up, but I could never get the bread home. I would eat the center of the bread on the way home and deliver to my mum an empty shell, basically. And yeah, that was sort of how I always was with food. I always wanted more. I couldn't just have a little bit of the bread, just pull, pull a little piece off. I basically had to eat the whole center. Even though I knew it was wrong, my mum didn't want me to do it. I was powerless. I had to do it. So what were the consequences and what was the impact on the rest of your family? Well, sure, they were annoyed with me because they didn't have any bread for breakfast because we used to have toast as part of our breakfast. She actually took the job off me. So I wasn't tempted, I guess. Right. And you mentioned that you used food for comfort. So what, what was it that you were seeking yeah, well, exactly that, comfort. I, I guess I just, I, I suppose I always felt a little bit out of place, a little bit awkward, ill at ease, even though I was quite sociable and gregarious and part of things. I also really like to, uh, to be on my own and have some, have some alone time. And I, I've, in fact, I, I kind of needed that. And I was actually very shy as well as a child, like, my mum actually took me to, to do lots of courses, like I did gymnastics, swimming, ballet, speech, drama. I did all of those. There, there was something on every night of the week because she, she wanted to kind of bring my personality out because prior to that, if we had visitors, I would run and hide under my bed because I just was afraid of people. And so then she would get me out and I would have to do my ballet steps. <laughs> so she was trying to just help me be more confident. Yeah, I guess the, the thing she wanted was just to get away from, <laughs> away from people. 
Yeah, well, I, I was afraid of people. I wanted to be with people, but I was afraid, felt awkward, didn't know what to say or what to do. So um, I thought it was easier to hide. Yeah. So did you have a, an anxiety as well? Yeah, well, I think that definitely is anxiety. Now that I look back on it, yes, I was anxious, anxious around people and I never felt like I was good enough and, you know, like I wasn't okay and other people seemed to be much more relaxed and able to be in a social situation easily, whereas I preferred to be under my bed. Yeah. So what about friendships at school and things like that? Was that easy? Well, it was a kind of, it's a funny kind of thing. Like I, I had lots of friends at school and, you know, but I still had that shy side and very, very sensitive side. But I guess because I had, I had lots of brothers and sisters and my mum helped, she helped me a lot by encouraging me and giving me lots of opportunities to do things. So yeah, she, she helped me with that, but I was still shy and felt less than. And that was really going on on the inside. And that is what I now know is, is why I used to eat to comfort myself. Yeah. So did your mum sort of, was she concerned about your weight? Very much so. And she put me on my first diet when I was 11. That was a carbohydrate counting diet. And at that stage, I was not obese, but I was a little bit chunky and I went on that carbohydrate counting diet, lost the weight, and then I immediately went back to eating normally and put the weight back on again. And that was the beginning of my life and my relationship with food, which was restricting and binging and starving and gorging myself. And so my mum, she really tried to help me with my weight through dieting, but that wasn't the, what I really needed. I really needed to, well, basically... I, I needed to learn some self-soothing techniques, which I guess I certainly know all about now through through being an FA. Yeah, so so my mum was kind of trying to treat the symptoms, which was eating instead of the real problem, which was the hole in my soul, the God-shaped hole in my heart. Yes, it's a difficult one, isn't it, with parents trying to interpret because the last thing you could do was tell her what your problem was. Yeah, well, I didn't even know. I didn't know what my problem was. I had no idea. Okay. Well, I'll swap over to you, Francis. So sort of a similar question. What were the things that influenced you as a child that you now, looking back, see them as a pathway to your attraction to food and it's your dependence on food? Yeah, sure, Bill. I grew up as an only child. I'm 61 years old now, so I was a child of the 60s. I was considered and, and called a skinny child. I was very active. I didn't want to sit and eat a meal, but I wanted food. I wanted to, to just graze on food, so that was what I tended to do. Because I was on the slim side, my parents allowed me to have free reign in the fridge and the cupboards, which I did. But what I, I found I was drawn to was the sweet the sweet stuff, the flower products, the um, stodgy things that I look back on now as, as real comfort food. So there would be tantrums at dinner time because I wouldn't want to eat the, the, the healthy meals that my mum had prepared. I would be full from the other things that I had eaten. So that was, that was fairly significant. There are a couple of things that I look back on that are indicative of what I'd call my food addiction. And, and one of them is that mum would make home-baked products. Everyone in the neighbourhood did. There, there wasn't anything bought. And I liked it when she turned on the Sunbeam Mix Master to make something that was going to be baked in a, in a cake tin. But I liked the mixture when it was raw and I would put my fingers in it and she would get really distressed by this, obviously, because of how dangerous it was. So I became sneakier and I would take more less frequently so that I could get more. And that didn't really change as life went on for me. I, I became a little bit, yeah, sneaky in my getting the foods that I wanted. And another one was our neighbour across the road had a bigger family 
and I was allowed to help eat the um, the baked products that that were on the tin, especially the bits that were a bit broken or a bit burnt. And one day she mentioned to me that she thought that I had I had had enough, and. I didn't know what enough meant. I could have just kept going. I didn't feel like I had an off switch. Once my body had a taste for those foods, I wanted more. If there was something left in the fridge or in the pantry, it was almost like it would call to me and I would end up eating it anyway. So I sort of thought, well, I might as well eat it now anyway. It was... It was um, Looking back, that's what it was like. It was like a, a drivenness within me to have more of the things that gave me comfort. So did all that eating cause you problems? Did you sort of feel full and lethargic and you know, all those things you associate with overeating? Or was that just part of your life? I used food a lot looking back. I didn't realise it at the time, but I was actually a bit lonely as an only child and... I used food almost as an anaesthetic uh, in front of the TV. So I loved the TV. I would zone out from life. I used it a lot if my playmates and neighbours had gone for a drive or were out somewhere else and I had no one to play with. And it went hand in hand with the food. So um, I developed, what would you call it, like behaviours around food that went hand in hand for me and I needed it I really needed it Mm. did you see at the time that you were sort of living a second life where people didn't know what you were doing that that sort of deception not at the time no it was only when I came into FA and put the food down and was able to reflect on what had brought me here that I was able to see the the pieces of the puzzle and, and put them into place and say, oh, yeah, I was really powerless over that food. I was, was unable to stop. That's the nature of my addiction. So I think I started developing a bit of compassion for myself. But at the time, no, I was oblivious to all of that. I just knew I had to have it. And I would become very devious about getting it. If I was at a birthday party and there were things that I would scan the table, I knew what I wanted to have, I would manoeuvre my way around to get what I wanted. It was almost like I zoned out to what everyone else was doing and, yeah, just just became sneaky and driven to getting my needs met um, regardless of the impact it might have on others. And because I was skinny, the word skinny was used a lot in relation to me I wasn't ever really reprimanded or anything. So I'm not sure that others, apart from that neighbour across the road who said, really, that's enough, there were probably other people who saw the same thing, but I didn't really hear what they were saying. So did it interfere with your friendships with others, your obsession with food? It did. It did. Um, I was very shy. I found it difficult to maintain relationships and I had... Uh, I went to an all-girls Catholic um, primary school and I had some lovely little buddies there. I wouldn't have sleepovers. They all had sleepovers together and I was very envious, but I ate all through the night at home and I, I knew that my friends didn't do that. They weren't allowed to eat after dinner or they certainly weren't allowed to eat when they got up through the night. So I, I, I guess, I, sorry, to answer your question, <laughs> the previous question, I guess, yes, I was aware of it. Looking back, yeah, it, and it certainly had an impact. I know during class at school, there were big classes in those days, and I would excuse myself to go to the bathroom, but I would go to my bag and get something to eat. We had free um, milk was given. Uh, it's not the case today, but little um, a third of a pint of milk we were all allowed to have each morning at morning tea and I would go and help myself to one of those. I think I was just, um, like Anna said, I was also quite anxious and it just soothed me. It seemed like I self-medicated on the food without worrying too much about the consequences of it. Yes. Oh, one of the questions I was going to ask you, Anna, was often children uh, take food for later. Did you ever, were you a person who took food for later? Oh, absolutely. 
like I said, I grew up in a large family and there were lots of people in the kitchen and um, something my mother used to make regularly was mashed potato, which was a, a real favourite of mine. And I would sneak into the pot, take a few spoons out and put it in my bottom drawer in my room to eat later, which wasn't very nice, by the way. Mashed potato the next day is, is not very nice at all. But um, yeah, that was definitely a practice that I that I did. Yeah. So given that it wasn't very nice the next day, did you sort of repeat that? Was that a was that something you did because you could? I still did it because I and resolved to eat it before the next day. You know, like to make sure that I got to it and had it, yeah, before it got got stale. Ah, interesting. Okay, well why don't we take a short break there? Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains. And the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and the Naro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. From a private life so public as the tabloids caught your tears being photographed How sad, how tragic But it doesn't have to be that way on the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program Burning Vinyl, Fridays, 2 till 4pm on 3CR Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. Today I'm talking with Anna and Francis, and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. So back to you, Anna. I guess the next major thing in, in life is sort of moving out from home and starting a career and uh, things like that. So did your life change when you moved out from home and, and you were no longer observed by your mother and parents? Absolutely. I left home at quite an early age. I was, I was only 17 years old and I couldn't wait to get out because I just wanted to get out and start living my life and doing the things that my parents would, would maybe caution me against doing. And I just wanted to live my life and, and be who I was and, yeah, be able to eat the way I wanted to, drink the way I wanted to, take recreational drugs and indulge in, in all the things that, that were addictions for me, basically, I, I, I later discovered. Okay. So before you talked about being, you know, a bit bit anxious and seeking to shield yourself in the world, now you, you're sort of ready to throw yourself out there. So what, what changed? Yeah, well, like I said before, I, I've, got, I've got these two sides to my personality. I, I'm an extrovert with an inferiority complex. And so I want to get out there and be out there and achieve and do things and be in the world, but I'm too afraid to. I'm very shy and... I've got this this strong, or I had a strong inner critic, which was telling me that I wasn't enough and I wasn't good enough. So in a way, nothing had really changed. And I just went out and into the world and experimented with things and then regretted it and was very critical of myself later on and then did it again. It was a vicious, just a vicious circle. Yeah. So what sort of things did you want to do, you know, that you felt you, you couldn't do at home? Well, certainly um, participate in mood with have take mood altering substances, 
So, um, and by that I mean smoke marijuana and experiment with some pharmaceuticals, I suppose, but not very much because I was kind of concerned that, oh, actually I had a young friend. Uh, I mean, I still smoke marijuana, but but there was a, um, a friend of the family who took some drugs and became a schizophrenic. And that really affected and impacted his life. And I, I certainly, that scared me and I didn't want to go down that track. So I basically stuck to marijuana in terms of recreational drugs and and drinking to excess I couldn't just I did I just used to get annoyed with my friends I just didn't want to have just a couple of drinks I wanted to have I wanted to get really drunk and yeah I just didn't see the point and and just having a few drinks it wasn't enjoyable I wanted to go but as far as I could go basically yeah so did you drink to blackout then I actually didn't I drank to room spinning and vomiting but I managed to stop myself at that point. But I would regularly feel like that at the end of an evening. And did that impact on your eating? Did you use that as a way of control? Um, certainly, yeah. Well, what, what would happen is I'd always be trying to control my eating because I would always be on some kind of restricting diet. But when I would have drugs and alcohol, then... I would just relax and that would sort of open the, open the doors to eating. And so I would, I would certainly eat a lot to try to manage as well the effects of the alcohol and the drugs. So yeah, it was a, it was a binge on everything that I was participating in. Yeah. So did that have an, an impact on your, you know, your ability to work? Um, no, actually I could always, I could, I could hold down a job, but I got to the point where I was drinking a bottle of wine a night to myself at least. And then I was looking for the, the next. And I really had to manage that alcohol consumption by using painkillers and, and certainly eating to try to manage the hangover. And I eventually actually gave up. I get, when I say no, to, no, it, it absolutely affected me because when I decided to give up drinking, because I, I, I just... I was in doing quite a demanding job. I was working as a recruitment consultant in quite a kind of high pressured environment with, with large um, targets to meet, et cetera. And I recognized that I couldn't drink the way I was drinking and do my job really well. And that I needed all the brain cells I could get basically. So I gave up drinking and I, I just, I managed to do it cold turkey. I contacted AA at the time but it kind of never seemed to work out for me to go to a meeting. So I, I didn't go, but then my food intake was just increased tenfold. And that's when essentially I put on 20 kilos from the time I gave up in, which was in 2007 to 2015 when I came into FA. And through that time as well, I tried all sorts of diets to try to manage it and I was working in an office environment and the whole office would be on a diet and we'd be doing the Atkins diet or we'd be doing some other fashionable diet at the time and my boss when I left that that particular job I was there for six years and he showed me a chart that he'd made where he had everybody's weight and how much weight they'd gained and lost and gained and lost and gained and lost and and mine I gained and lost so much weight but I was I was the same weight as, as when I started at the end of all that struggling. And that actually included doing what I now recognize was bulimic exercise. One of my colleagues suggested that we run a half marathon and I, you know, I, I was always up for, for being involved in something. So I, I got involved. And during that time, all that running, like miles and miles of running most nights of the week and doing some incredibly long runs on the weekends to train to do a half marathon and a full marathon. And in that time frame, I actually put on eight kilos over the five years that I was doing that. So I certainly knew that exercise wasn't helping me out at all. So why did you look for help? What was the thing that triggered you to go, I've got to do something about this? I was just absolutely desperate. I'd tried every single diet. I'd done all the exercise. I'd done everything that I knew or that, you know, that I was taught during my formative years and, you know, that you read about. It's calories in, calories out, right? 
were wrong, not, not as far as I was concerned, because I, I just couldn't control it. So I, I knew that there was, I knew there was something wrong with me. I eventually Googled food addict because I just, I just couldn't stay in a normal sized body, but it was, it was the negativity that went with that, the harsh inner critic that was absolutely criticizing me and also um, a propensity to perfectionism, which meant that I was criticizing all the people around me as well and all the situations under the umbrella of being helpful. You know, like I was always pointing out to people how they could do things better. And, and that was in the work environment and how we could improve, et cetera. But I've since realized that it's much more useful to catch people doing, doing something right at work than to look for what they're doing wrong. And that's the beauty of the fellowship and recovery. I needed to turn my whole thinking around and that is the gift that I've been given. And that is what soothes me today, along with a strong relationship with, with a higher power. And that is the comfort that I needed all along. But that I was looking, it's, it, and it's an inside job, but I was looking for it on the outside, in, in alcohol, in drugs, in, in work to, and workaholism, and um, also shopping and relationships. I was looking for that comfort, but in FA, I've found it on the inside through, through prayer, through gratitude, and through a higher power. Thank you. So, Francis, I guess the same question for you. Things change when you sort of leave home and start a career and think about family and things. So how much change occurred once you left home? I had gone to teacher's college and had made some nice friends. I think my life was on a bit of an even keel for, for those three years. And then I went out into the working world and I felt very inadequate as a teacher, very insecure. I became a workaholic while my friends um, in the little country town we were in were preparing meals, breakfast, lunch and dinner. I just grazed because that's what I was so familiar with and kept working basically. Um, a lot of self-loathing came in at that time. I had a very, very low self-esteem and the fear that's gone hand in hand with my food addiction was really um, very strong at that, at that time. And I discovered that by over-exercising and under-eating, I could, I could burn up calories. And when that didn't always work, I discovered diet pills and, and used those as well. So um, I was sort of putting up a, a false bravado to the world that I was okay, that I looked good on the outside, but inside I had what, what Anna spoke about too, the, the hole in the soul uh, that I can define it as today. I didn't know what it was then. There was something indefinable. Um, I was diagnosed as having had a nervous breakdown. I was put on anti-anxiety medication and anti-depression medication and all the time looking, searching out there for something that was going to make me feel better inside. I suppose one of the side effects of all that medication was that I put on weight. So I started putting on weight for the first time in my life and uh, that really frightened me. So how did it impact your relationships, you know, work and family and social? One, one example is, is a work situation. Just prior to the weight coming on, I was sneaking food from the staff room of the little school where we worked and um, it was brought up at a staff meeting that all of these biscuits are going missing and we're paying money for them and when people went to eat them, they were gone. And another girl was blamed, a, a sort of a girl who was heavier than me and even though she denied it, and I never admitted that it was me. Today, that, that, that sort of behaviour just horrifies me. I was starting to behave in ways that, that just didn't sit comfortably with me, but I couldn't, I couldn't not do it. It was like I was driven by my emotions. If I was having a bad morning, I needed, all bets were off, I needed that food. Um, the same thing happened when I got married. My husband realized that um, we were eating a lot of takeaway food again I was staying late at work I would grab uh, food rather than take the time to prepare any meals 
I was ashamed of that. A lot of shame went hand in hand with my behaviour. I wanted to be um, not like that. I, I, I wanted to be, you know, in, in quotation marks, normal, but I just I just kept um, searching for something, but it was as though my my drive to get that food into me was greater than my ability to actually transform things in my life. I, as Anna said, I I needed uh, something greater than myself, and that's what I've found. I've found a higher power that I turn to today for that strength, the courage, the comfort, the reassurance, or everything I need I get today from that inner world within me rather than from, from looking outwardly. It must be quite hard being in a very close relationship with someone else and having a food addiction. So how did you manage that and where did that take you? Oh, gosh. Well, it cost me my marriage, basically. Um, that, that was part of it. I guess by this stage, it was obvious to people that I had problems. And one of them was that I had a problem with alcohol and with prescription medications. I had started self-medicating. And so although most of the time I, I could walk a tightrope, there were times when I fell off and the wheels came off in my life. And uh, so I was, I was sort of duly addicted. And the thing that was becoming most obvious was my alcoholism. So I couldn't quite see the extent to which the food, the food addiction was running hand in hand with that. What it tended to do was make me isolate. I would often refuse invitations to things. If there was a wedding or something coming up, I would need to, to virtually starve myself. Um, through sheer willpower, there were times when I could do that to get into an outfit that I wanted to wear. But once the, once the event was over, I would turn to the food again. And I think the shame of that just had me shying away from people. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't eat the way other people did. So if there were some of my favourite trigger foods around, I would be obsessed with wanting more of that and resentful of someone who was reaching out their hand to take their first piece I was ready for my third or fourth piece. It was like nothing could satiate me. There was, there was just a no-off switch for my, my behaviour. So did you seek treatment for your drinking? I did for my drinking, yes. I tried a number of things. I tried counselling, um, workshop groups. Um, I tried going cold turkey. I thought that if I just didn't drink eventually I wouldn't want to drink anymore and my life would get better. But I didn't understand anything about the nature of, of addiction and that that was never going to happen. So I was very blessed at the age of uh, 48 to, to come into Alcoholics Anonymous. And once, through my higher powers grace, I was able to put down the alcohol and drugs Unbeknownst to me, it was very subtle at first, but then it became like an avalanche. I was turning to the food more and more, and it was straight sugar and flour by this stage and a lot of, a lot of caffeine. I would fill my pockets with, with biscuits before a, an AA meeting. I, it was as though any kind of emotional trigger sent me reaching for food all day, every day. And it was about six months after I had been in AA that I had put on an enormous amount of weight and none of the things that I had tried worked anymore. I tried the over-exercising, the gym, the detoxes, the juice fasts, the, none of them worked anymore. And I was, I was very blessed that my AA sponsor said to me one day, I, I just burst into tears and I said to her, I can't stop eating. I don't know what to do. And she said, do you think you might be a food addict? And I said, what's that? And she said, there are some people who come into AA and who then find a similar situation to mine, which is that they, they have other addictions as well. And she said she knew of a program called Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. She had sponsored a girl who had started that program and that girl had lost half her body weight and kept it off successfully. And her life had, had 
changed for the better immeasurably. And uh, she gave me that girl's name that day, and that my, I began. I began that in two thousand and nine. Mm. Thank you. Uh, well, so we might take another short break there. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since two thousand and three. Their one hundred percent recycled cards, plastic-free stationery, and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Tune in to Uprise Radio every first and third Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR. With Jackson and James, we're bringing you the in-depth analysis of what's happening in the world, all in just 30 minutes. You can listen live to air, or you can find us on demand. 3cr.org.au. Stay tuned. Uh, This is the Living Free Show on 3CR. Uh, this is Living Free on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Anna and Francis and we're talking about recovery from their food obsession with the help of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. So Anna, you're talking before the, the break about you know your harsh inner critic was the thing that you found most difficult to cope with. So reaching out for help, what was it like to find a group of people who talked about things that you couldn't talk to other people about yeah well it was it was wonderful really to come into fa one of one of the first things that i remember hearing that i that was earth shattering to me was that food addicts have an allergy to flour and sugar a light bulb went off in my mind and i was like wow yes that's that's exactly true that's exactly uh what i have and actually I was at a very low point before I came in. I was the harsh and a critic. I was waking up every morning wishing I was dead. I would say to myself three times every morning, I hate myself. I want to die. I was dragging myself through life. I too had actually been on Prozac for 15 years prior to that point. And even the Prozac just wasn't helping. And and I was in a desk, you know, like I was 87 kilos and I was... I just totally out of solutions. I'd just been on a, on a diet which involved drinking powders instead of eating food, which was very unsatisfying and like didn't work and cost a lot of money and was like hopeless. And so anyway, I found Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. I came to my first meeting and I just decided to get, to get started straight away. But the, the thing that shocked me is that I was the fattest person in the room. Everybody else in the room was in, in a normal size, but well, most other people were in were in pretty normal sized bodies. So I thought, wow, well, they, they must they must have something right. And I thought to myself, well, look, I'll just give this a go for three months. I'll lose some weight and then I'm out of I'm out of here. Six years later, I'm still here because there's so much in recovery that is so wonderful. But the miracles have happened for me through being in recovery. For a start, I stopped wishing that I was dead. Someone suggested early on that I practice being satisfied. I was like, wow, what's that? How do you be satisfied when there's so much wrong with me and with the world? So slowly the program was was turning my mind around. I mean, I lost the 30 kilos in six months and I've kept it off for the last five years. I gave up my Prozac as well. Um, When I first came in, I was so busy shopping and shopping and doing everything going to to the meetings and doing everything that we do in FA that I just didn't make it to the pharmacist to pick up my prescription and after three weeks I said to my husband hey I haven't been taking the Prozac for three weeks and he said you know that actually I'd I'd been okay it was suggested to me to go to see my doctor by some fellows because you're not meant to just stop taking your Prozac so I went to the doctor and he agreed that we would monitor it but I haven't needed to take my Prozac since that day. If, if I thought that I needed to go back on it, I would go back on it in a heartbeat because 
I, I want to live my life and I, I don't want to die. And I'm, I'm worried that I might take my own life if I, you know, if I'm not looking after myself. But at the moment in the program with the, tool, the, the tools, gratitude, meetings, the support of other fellows, journaling, a relationship with a higher power, prayer, all of these things just keep me in a great space. So you mentioned other fellows. So how important is it to be in contact with others? It's really important to, I tend to isolate when things are not going well. And that's the very time when I need to just reach out and share with my fellows about what's happening in my life and have them assist me to talk, talk through a solution. And, and actually I speak to Francis a bit and we do, we, we talk through things on a, on a regular basis, you know, different situations that are happening. It's a great opportunity for Francis to just refer me back to the program and to, to help me with my relationship with my higher power and to stop, help me to stop thinking about myself and start thinking about how I can help other people. So talking about helping other people then, what sort of things do you do in FA to help others? I guess particularly new members, but anybody in general? Well, for a start, I stay abstinent. So I, that means that I, I eat a beautiful, healthy diet. I eat three meals a day. I don't eat anything in between and I don't eat any flour or, or any sugar. And I also make sure that I, uh, that I have appropriate quantities. And then I help other people. Like now that I've been in the program for a while, what I do is I sponsor newcomers. So I, I support other people to be able to do what I did in, in the early days and help them in the way I was assisted in the early days and, and now. I mean, I still, I still have a sponsor now who helps me with my relationship with my higher power and to just help me lead a full and rewarding life. My career actually has taken off since I came into FA. I always seem to have problems with my bosses in the past. They were always very difficult and hard to get along with, but guess who was the common denominator? That was me. I was very difficult. And um, with, with the help of the program, I've been able to turn my attitude around. And, and recently I, re I resigned from my job and my boss actually asked me to stay on for six months and said that he would pay my rent for that time. So that's an amazing turnaround for someone who, who was normally in, in conflict with, well, in a lot of relationships I, I'd have, were good, but I'd also have a lot of difficulty in them. Yeah. So what have, you mentioned your husband. So how's it changed your relationship with your husband? Well, my husband says it was false advertising because when I met him, I was a smoking, drinking party animal. And now I'm, I'm the exact opposite of that. But um, he also recently said to me that our lovers got stronger. And that nearly made me cry, actually, when he said that, because that was, that was really beautiful to hear. And, and what's, what's really happened is that I've stopped looking at what, what's wrong with my life and started looking at what was right. There was one situation with, with my husband. His mother passed away recently and his mother had given us a plant, which is a zygote cactus, which is a beautiful flowering pink cactus, which is a glorious, glorious plant. And my husband walked around it and took a video and put it on Facebook. And it was around my mother-in-law's birthday and she'd passed away about that time as well. And so there was a lot of love and beauty and memory, beautiful memories in what he did. And I saw the video and I said to him, oh, you left the rubbish bag in the background. So in the middle of all that glorious pink and wonder and joy and appreciation of his mum, I'm looking at the one second that was the rubbish bag in the background. That was a real turning point for me. And I, re I realized you've got to, you know, like turn my life around so that I can look at what's right and not what's wrong. So, yeah, it also helps because my husband and I can now fit on the lounge together. When, we, when I was 30 kilos heavier, we couldn't fit there, but now we can lie there together. So that's improved our relationship as well. Sounds good. So over to you, Francis, then um, you mentioned that, you know, your AA sponsor suggested you go to food addicts. So having been in a 12-step program already, you would have understood the basics, but, you know, how different was it going to FA than going to AA? It was relatively 
different in in some ways as as Anna has already mentioned we have three weighed and measured meals a day uh, with nothing in between and there are certain disciplines that we undergo each day that just help us to make that to deepen that connection I guess with a higher power what I had to be able to see was that there was something blocking me from what the big book calls the sunlight of the spirit and I knew that it was the food doing that. So I was very fortunate. I got a, I got a sponsor straight away in FA. I got into a right-sized body relatively quickly, but I wasn't really embracing the program um, the way other people were. So I wasn't really getting the serenity, the peace of mind, the, the, the calmness in their day that other fellows were getting. I would ring them in outreach calls and I still had a lot of drama going on in my life and I could hear there was just a just a calmness on the end of the phone and that I felt like I was too busy <laughs> I was too busy to do the things that they were doing that were helping to make them well and consequently after about 12 months I left the program I thought that I could do it on my own um, I was in AA, so I was working the 12 steps and had a sponsor. And like a lot of things in my life, I was a bit brash and thought, yeah, I've got this nailed, you know, I've lost the weight, I've got the food plan. The FA food plan, as Anna said, is, is it's beautiful, it's delicious, it's nutritious. I thought that's all I needed. So looking back, I was really using it as a diet rather than as a way of life. And I ended up leaving in 2010 after a year in the program. And it was interesting to watch my descent, I suppose, back into active addiction, that although I didn't put weight back on because I was very aware of the food, I didn't have the neutrality that I had had for a short while in FA. It was like the food called to me. When I was eating out in restaurants, I was obsessed with what other people were eating. I was consumed with what I was going to have. Um, my head was doing a busy calculation again with calories, with burning calories. And any serenity and peace of mind that I had had during that time in FA, I lost. So it was um, a bit of a no-brainer, really, to after a couple of years to think, maybe I need to go back and maybe I can do it differently. Maybe I can do it the way that others had done it and get what they got. And that's exactly what happened. I came back in 2012 and I rang a, a fellow who I knew had had what I wanted. She had the contented abstinence that I had dreamt of. And I said to her, I'm frightened. I didn't get it last time. I'm, I'm scared of coming back, but I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place. And she said, she said three things that just changed my life on that day. She said, are you willing to go to any lengths to have the best life that you can imagine? And as she said that, it was like goosebumps. It was a little bit like, oh, this is a message that I need to listen to. And I said, yeah, I would love, I would love the best life that I can imagine, but I don't think I can do it. And she said, pray for the willingness. Just pray to be willing to do it. And I thought, I think I can do that. And then I said, but I, I just don't think I can do it forever. I didn't even manage for a year. And she said, you're only doing it for one day. And when she said that, it seemed achievable. It seemed doable. And I did it. And that was my first day of what I would call contented abstinence. And I remember getting on my knees that night and saying, thank you. Thank you, whatever you are out there please, can I just have one more day like that? Just one more day of not being in the food. And that's how it's been for me, Bill. It's just been a day at a time, not picking up no matter what and, and turning to that higher power on the tough days. I don't have tough days so much anymore, but that was it was tough at the beginning. It was It was a little bit of, you know, I always share that. It wasn't an easy road, but people said to me, 
We didn't say it would be easy. We said it would be worthwhile. And that's what I can share today. It is so, so worthwhile. I never want to go back to the way things were. I, I, I get to keep moving forward in this program. I have so much hope. M miracles have happened as as Anna was talking about you know I had a very rocky relationship with my mother all my life and through working the 12 steps that relationship has changed I just adore her um, we're closer than we've ever been at the end of my drinking and drugging and 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 food addiction I was employed in very menial jobs. I could no longer be a teacher. I couldn't hold down a responsible job. And about 18 months into recovery in my quiet time, one of the things we do each day is we sit quietly for 30 minutes to get a better perspective of our, on our life. And um, when the timer went off after that 30 minutes one day, I just had an idea to go back to university and go back teaching which I did it took me four years to do a one-year course <laughs> because I I had to keep deferring to put my recovery first and I have the most amazing job today I just truly love love my work financially I have security today I have honest relationships where I can be transparent and and really connect with people at a heart level I treasure my friendships my family every aspect of my life has has improved and one of the things was um, that the older members said to me practice gratitude for every little thing today talk to your higher power like he's a friend and practice gratitude for every little thing and those two things started to turn my my thinking my attitudes my beliefs my behaviors in in a 180 degree turn to a much more softer gentler, loving perspective on life. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of people talk about their 12-step friends like their family. They're closer than family. Did you find out that you could talk to people in the fellowship that you couldn't talk to your family? I do now. I found it hard at the beginning because, uh, like, like as Anna said, I tended to isolate as well. I, um, I was very clunky when I... One, one of the suggestions in the program is that we ring three fellows each day and talk to them about what's happening for us and what we're feeling. And I found that really hard because I had hidden my emotions for my whole life. But slowly, slowly, you know, I feel like my heart started opening more and those fellows with more experience than me were able to lead the way and encourage me to do the same. So yes, I have, I have um, Anna as one of my dearest um, um, fellows that I speak to these days and we can talk about anything. And she and I both have a number of other fellows that we share with at a really deep level, yeah. Thank you. If anybody would like to find out more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, uh, you can find them in Australia on one 800 717446 or go online at foodaddicts.org for local meetings and contact information. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Anna and Francis for sharing their Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature Smart Recovery Australia and we'll talk to Dan about how Smart Recovery can help people suffering from various addictions as well as their family and friends. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR.